0: So this morning we are in our second week on the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, and today we're just going to talk about Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. I'm just going to try to introduce it to you, but I'm going to do so by means of the first two verses of Second Corinthians. And it is the the greeting. And so we read the Word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we. Introduced the author of this epistle, Paul, also known as Saul of Tarsus. And Paul wrote 13 epistles. So, of the 27 books in the New Testament, he wrote 13 of them. James and Jude, to the um, other writers, they wrote one each. Peter wrote two. John wrote three in addition to his gospel and the book of Revelation. Luke wrote his gospel and the book of Acts. Paul wrote nine epistles. Now, six of those epistles are rather short. I'm sorry, Paul wrote 13 epistles. Nine of them are rather short. A few chapters each. No more than six. Three of his epistles are longer now, that doesn't have up to 13 does it? it must be 10 that are shorter anyway uh i didn't do well with my math um so paul is the uh the main writer you'd say of the new testament more than anyone else and he's also the most personal writer of the new testament um, he reveals himself more than any of the other writers of the New Testament do. And this is inspired by God. And as I said last time, he's the only one through whom God said, imitate him. And so um, we, he gives us more information about him because of his special calling to be uh, known and followed and imitated by believers in christ jesus of course is the ultimate one we imitate and paul himself said imitate me as i imitate christ so it all comes from christ but the fact is that jesus was the son of god and so um, he's not a good example of a sinner saved by grace he can be many things to us in terms of a good example. He's not a good example of a sinner saved by grace because he was not a sinner. Paul is the supreme example, I would suggest, of a sinner saved by grace. And therefore, he's commended to us to imitate him. Now, epistles, like stor- most stories, like most um, Oh, the older I get, the more words escape me. So, you go to the amusement park and you get on the roller coaster. Thank you. Oh, man. Anyway, like most stories and like most roller coasters, uh, Paul's epistles don't begin with a bang. Um, And so, it's still the word of God, though, and we still need to pay attention to it, and I'm going to talk about three or four different aspects that are, that are in this greeting that help us to sort of get oriented to this epistle. The first one is I'd like to talk about the story behind Second Corinthians. And here I need to tell you a strange secret. It may not be a secret to you, but it's a secret to many It seems that Paul's second letter to the Corinthians was not Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. But at least his fourth letter to the Corinthians. It's Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in the New Testament, of course. And it's Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, which we have... But it's not the second letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And here's the story. And, and if, uh, Joel, if we can get the... Uh, um, and do you have do you have a uh, thing I can use? That would be great. Thank you so much. Excellent. Oh, good, good, good. So... Um, the first, the first missionary journey, you know, start, Paul started from Antioch, and he went to the, to the area around here and, uh, and back. Okay. Then the second one, we can see he started in Antioch again, and he traveled farther. He went all the way to Troas, and there in Troas, he had a vision in a dream of a man calling him over to Greece to help them there. So he believed that that was from God, therefore he hopped on a boat he traveled over and he began to preach the gospel over in the Greek, the Grecian peninsula. Okay? So this, this is uh, the two areas back then, Greece was two provinces the northern Macedonia and the southern Achaia so he began in Macedonia he preached the gospel in Philippi, in Thessalonica in Berea and, uh, and traveled down. Then he, uh, he went to Achaia, and he preached in Athens, and then in Corinth. Now, each of these cities where he preached along here was a major city, and each one, there was almost immediate persecution that arose, stirred up by the Judaizers, that made Paul have to leave pretty quickly after he had been there. Even though some people had responded and there were believers that he left behind, he had to get out of town because he was going to get in big trouble if he didn't. But when he got to Corinth, it it took a lot longer for the persecution to rise, and so he was able to stay there a whole year and a half in Corinth and minister the gospel there in the city of Corinth. Now... After he was done there, he went home. But instead of traveling the whole way in a boat, you know, he had to use available transportation. So he hopped on a boat that was on its way home, but it was going to stop in Ephesus. And so they stopped in Ephesus, and while he was there, he, you know, they had a layover, and he thought, well, I'll preach the gospel. And so he preached the gospel a little bit, and lo and behold, people there were so open and eager to hear that he said to himself okay I'll come back here as soon as I can and so after he went back back to Jerusalem and then back home to Antioch in his third missionary journey he headed straight to Ephesus and he spent two and a half years in Ephesus during that time he got reports this is his third missionary journey this, the second one's the one on the map, I know. But the third one, while he's in Ephesus, he starts getting messages from the church at Corinth that there's trouble. And so he begins to have communication back and forth with the believers in Corinth. Some people bring him messages, he gets reports, written reports, different communications go back and forth. Here's the problem. There, there, uh, there's sin apparently that's running rampant in the church of Corinth, and no one's doing anything about it. So he writes a letter that, that uh, you know tries to address these things, and that letter is misunderstood. And then he writes First Corinthians to address some of those misunderstandings, and also so this letter, this first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, which we don't have, is mentioned in First Corinthians five nine, where he's correcting some of their misunderstandings of that letter. So, um, anyway, he writes that letter and and answers a lot of the questions that have arisen from all the communication. He he uh, and then, in um, in the. Uh, That the things don't improve after his first letter to the Corinthians. In fact, um, he gets reports that things are even getting worse. And he goes to visit them and that goes terribly. And so he sends another letter. And this letter is also lost. This would be the third letter he wrote at least. And this letter we, it is referred to a number of times in second Corinthians as and it's come to be called the severe letter. Paul wrote the severe letter to the Corinthians between first and second corinthians and um this severe letter was very confrontational um and it um some people you know even today, but not many today, but some people historically have thought that the letter he refers to as the severe letter in Second Corinthians was actually 1 Corinthians. I'm not going to go into the depth of why that's almost surely not true this morning. But if you're interested in that, I posted the sermon on the website this morning, and at the very end, after the sermon's over, I have... Put an excerpt from a commentary that gives like eight or nine reasons why uh, the letter that it's being talked about in Second Corinthians is not First Corinthians but another letter. But anyway, so the severe letter was written, and um, Paul was very anxious because he was really afraid for his relationship with the Corinthians that it, you know this it could be over, and so he is so anxious about this he. He can't wait to get a response back. He waits, and he sends it with Titus. The, the, uh, this is the severe letter. Sends it with Titus. He's waiting for Titus to return. And so, he, but then he decides, okay, he's going to go up to Troas and wait there. And then he doesn't, he keeps getting impatient. So he actually gets on a boat and travels over there because he knows that, that Titus is going to be coming back this way. And so he gets on a boat and eventually he finds Titus on his way back from delivering the letter and he meets him over here in Macedonia and gets the good news. They've basically responded positively to his severe letter. And he talks about this in, um, in 2 Corinthians. This story a little bit. In chapter 2 of uh, 2 Corinthians. So we'll get to that in the details later. So here he's traveled over. He's gotten the news that they've res- responded generally positively, and then he stops and he writes what we call Second Corinthians, so that he can. And he's very happy when he writes it. He's he's writing in joy over their response, and yet there's still some issues that have to be dealt with that he's that he's uh, addressing. And he's trying to prepare them for his next visit with them. So that's sort of the context that that it's written in. And you can see that because the issues, well, in this, you know, we read the, the beginning here, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. That was part of the problem, you see, that his apostleship was being questioned. And uh, let me tell you a little bit why that seems to have occurred. Okay? So Paul came, preached the gospel in Corinth, and, and uh, people received it. He was there for a year and a half, and then he left. Right after Paul was there, Apollos came. You know, Paul and Apollos had a great relationship. They worked together. So there was no difference between what Apollos was teaching and what Paul was teaching But, Apollos was like a dynamic speaker. And Paul was not. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians 2, When I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So, you know, he was not... The dynamo. But Apollos came and he was. So it was easy for the Corinthians to say, wow, this guy's much better than Paul was. Well, then Peter came. And you know how fiery Peter could be. The comparison got it. So Paul kept going down in their estimation, it would seem. But then this became even more severe because they got visits from what he calls false apostles. And you can look in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 to see references to the false apostles. Um, and they, even more severely, undermined the congregation's attitude toward Paul. And so, it wasn't just that he was trying to deal with their sin, but, but even in doing so, they weren't, their respect for him was being diminished by these other influences, so, um, Second Corinthians is Paul's it's a, really a fight f- f- for his relationship with the Corinthians. And it is a beautiful demonstration of sort of how to deal with difficulties in relationships because of this in a Christian way Um, one commentator said 2nd Corinthians uh, is a window into Paul's soul and expresses his feelings about the Corinthians as he prepares to make his final visit to them and so in seeing his heart for the Corinthians which is of course a reflection of the heart of Jesus for his people we can learn much um, about the, our hearts and our attitudes towards others. Okay, so that's enough about the story of Second Corinthians. Now let's talk about the destination of this letter, Corinth. Now, um, you know, I'm sure, something about Corinth. Um, Corinth, as a city, was a wicked, wicked place. Um, and it was the New Testament version of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the worst of Las Vegas, Amsterdam, and San Francisco rolled into one. It was Sin City. And, um, and so it, it's, it's a good um, you know, people might wonder why did Paul go there in the first place you know when you're thinking about um, where to plant a church why would you go to this city of sin Um, and you know in I don't know a couple years ago remember there was a series that came out on the Bible a a TV miniseries and I didn't watch very much of it, so I can't really critique the thing. But one thing that really troubled me about the little bit that I did watch was that they, they skipped over enormous periods of redemptive history. But they had this long treatment of the story of Abraham and Lot with Lot going to Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember when they split up the territory? And it seemed pretty clear that what they were saying was that, that um, you know, it was evil for Lot to go to this sinful city and righteous people stay away from the sinful city. And, you know, there's a lot of Christians today that sort of think that, that, you know, you stay away from the sinful city. But here's Paul. He walks right into the context of this sinful city To preach the gospel. And some people would say, yeah, and look what happened. Look at what a mess the church at Corinth was. Well, my friends, if the gospel doesn't work in wicked places like Corinth, then the gospel isn't true. The gospel works everywhere because the power of the gospel is greater than the power of man's sin. The gospel works in cancer wards. The gospel works in nursing homes. The gospel works in war zones. The gospel works because the power of the gospel, the power of grace is bigger than all the problems of man. The gospel is not just a way to help you feel better about life after you've gotten all your basic needs met. The gospel is life. And it works in a context of death. So, we have a church of Corinth. And yes, it had a lot of problems. And yes, a lot of its problems were partly a result of the influence from the society around it. Yes, you had people struggling with sexual immorality in a city that was rife with sexual immorality. That's the way it is. And all of us are influenced by the world around of us around us. And all of us, all churches have, you know, the imprint of the society, or a little bit of the stench of the society in the church, because it rubs off on us. We're not perfect and we are we struggle to you know, be under the sway of Christ instead of under the sway of the world around us. But that doesn't mean that it's a hopeless cause that you just give up on. The Corinthian church is a textbook problem church. But there's lots of problem churches, even the New Testament. You know, Jesus wrote letters to seven churches that are recorded in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. One of those letters, the church at Philadelphia, is commended and encouraged without any correction. Another one is warned about the persecution. They're undergoing persecution and he wants them to know that he knows that and he's telling them it's going to get even worse. So there's really no moral judgment upon them, just a warning and knowledge about this persecution. But the others, of the other five, four are commended and then also chided for something. And one is just chided without being commended at all. Here's a little survey of seven churches that existed in Asia. Ephesus being one of them. But all the churches are right around here. And, um, and it tells us these churches had problems. These churches, you know, are struggling. They're not what they should be. Then think about Paul's epistles. He writes to a number of churches. He writes to seven different churches in his epistles. He writes to Romans and Ephesians and has really very little correction to say to them. But Paul's never been to Rome and he's never been, I'm sorry, Colossians. He's never been to Colossae or to Rome. So he's writing to them just knowing about them and trying to build them up but not having a role to correct them because he doesn't know them personally. And of the other churches, uh, Corinthians has big problems, Galatians has big problems, Um, Philippians, Thessalonians don't seem to have enormous problems, and then there's Ephesians. Ephesians doesn't have big problems either, but as Paul's meeting with the Ephesian elders for the last time, he basically tells them, you're about to have big problems. So this is this is the way it is. We don't we don't um, we're not lovers of the church. We're not participants in the church because it doesn't have problems. But because, but because this is Christ's church, He's the one that's building His church, and therefore we want to be involved in it. You know, uh, Paul David Tripp and and uh, Le- Tim Lane wrote a book called. Well, I, I love, you know, so many, some titles are so great. Just the title is great, even if you don't read the book. And this one is. It's called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. And next time I see one of those guys, I'm going to tell them, you need to write a sequel, The Ch- Churches, A Mess Worth Making. Because that is also true. And, I'm, and they would agree with that. And... Uh, I have spoken to both of them and I mean that when I say it. I will tell them next time. You've got to write a sequel. Um, okay, so um, the last thing I'd like to talk about is Paul's greeting. In uh, verse 2, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I'd like to... You know, since I've never preached on an epistle of Paul before, I've never had the opportunity to explain that greeting to you, which is pretty much the same in all of Paul's letters, but is really special, what Paul is doing here in this greeting. So, um, the traditional greeting in the Greek-speaking world, which was all of the Roman Empire, the traditional greeting was the word kairain, kairain, kairain. Which meant greetings. Okay? But Paul changed it to kairis, which means grace. So instead of, he adapted the traditional greeting. You know, so the word is actually very similar. But and so it would be unmistakable that he was uh, building off of that but instead of saying greetings he was saying grace now that was the Greek speaking world in the Hebrew speaking world the greeting is always was and still is in many ways Shalom which we translate as peace and in um, the Greek word for peace you know the uh, he uses that as the second part of his greeting. Grace to you and peace. So he's using the Greek, the offshoot of the Greek greeting, but changing it to grace. And he's using the Hebrew greeting shalom. And of course, you've, heard, you've probably heard someone, if not me, explain to you that shalom is a much deeper word than just peace. It's, we don't have a good English word to translate shalom. Because it means prosperity, well-being, wholeness, peace, all these things, a state like that wrapped up in one package. So it's more than just have a good day kind of thing. Um, and so instead of using the popular greeting of the day or the greetings of the day, Paul has Christianized the greetings of the Greek world and the greeting of of the Hebrew world and turn them into this greeting grace to you and peace and then he he founds it in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ it was no longer now that Paul had his life turned upside down now that he knew Christ it was no longer enough just to say hi to people he wanted to wish them the grace of God. And really, this little sentence, this little greeting, is the gospel, isn't it? We have received grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And so right at the beginning of Paul's letter, he makes it clear what he's after. He wants them to flourish In the grace and peace of Jesus. He knows that this is really down deep what they all need. It's the answer to all of their problems. And ultimately this is what his letter is all about. In all of his letters. Their grace ministered in a given context. And we're given a number of different contexts so that we can get a, a wide spectrum Because this is what we need as well. It's not just what the Corinthians needed. We need God's grace and God's peace to reign in our lives. Near the end of his epistle, this epistle, Paul tells a story in chapter 12. He had a problem, a very painful problem. We're not told what it is. He just calls it his thorn in the flesh. But he had this problem, and he prayed that it would go away. And he prays three times, Lord, take it away. And God doesn't take it away. But then God comes to him and says, My grace is sufficient for you. You see, this is the same grace that he's wishing upon them. You don't need... Paul learned... You don't need your problems to go away. You just need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't take away our problems sometimes. He is very merciful and kind. And when we pray, he often does take away our problems, whether it's a thorn in the flesh or something else. But that's not really what we need. We need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... That is his wish. That is his assessment of their need. And that is what all of us ultimately need. And that is beautifully what has been provided for us in Christ and made available for us for the rest of our lives. Grace sufficient to live out our lives and, and peace to reign over our hearts even in the midst of trouble and ultimately we'll experience that grace and peace in completeness and we will know his eternal shalom as we dwell with him forever in our true home. It is in Christ of course Alone, that we have received these precious gifts. So let us take a few minutes now to remind ourselves through the sacrament that the gift of Jesus to us is what makes all the difference in the world. That He is life to us. And that in all of our struggles... In all of our sins, and all of our anxieties, and all of our sufferings, that He has given us Himself. And it's better than if He gave us, if He took away all our problems and all our pain. He's given us Himself in the midst of it. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise You that You took upon yourself our humanity and that you bore the burden of our sin upon the cross and we come now to celebrate what you have done for us this indescribable gift this miracle of miracles and we ask O Lord that through our participation in this sacrament right now that we would sense your presence with us and be assured of our eternal hope with you. And that we would know, O oh Lord, that our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. We pray in his name.